Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, Vice President of Content and Thought Leadership here at IRI. IRI leverages forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their business. Our purpose is to reinvent how people make decisions, take action, and optimize performance by unifying technology, analytics, and data. At IRI, we're about smarter decisions, faster actions, and exceptional performance. As part of that effort, we regularly share our thought leadership with the industry at large, addressing and tackling the most pressing challenges and opportunities within our industry. Our special C-Suite Conversation Series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we're talking with Tim Kofer, Chief Executive Officer, Central Garden and Pet, a leader in the lawn and garden and pet industries with 65 plus brands, including Pennington, KT, Aquion, Nylabone, Cadet, Amdro, Ferry Morse, and many more. While CPG in general has seen tremendous growth since the outset of the pandemic, the pet industry has been exceptional, given the increase in pet adoption and ownership as Americans settle in at home and turn to their furry or scaly or feathery friends for comfort and activity. Further, we know that Americans have been investing in their homes throughout the pandemic, and Tim will tell us about the investments we're making in beautifying our yards. As CEO of Central Garden and Pet, Tim is uniquely qualified to walk us through this boon to the pet industry, the supply chain challenges, as well as growth strategies for these complicated businesses. Central Garden and Pet's myriad brands generate $3.3 billion in sales globally, doing business in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Tim's 30-plus years of consumer packaged goods experience includes Chief Growth Officer of Mondelez International, President of Asia Pacific, Middle East, and Africa for Mondelez, President of Kraft Foods Europe, President of Kraft Pizza Company, and President of Oscar Mayer Foods. Leading today's conversation is KK DeVay, IRI's President of Client Engagement, and Russ Dunham, Executive Vice President of our Strategic Solutions Group. With that as background, it's my pleasure to turn it over to KK and Russ. Welcome, Tim. We typically ask our panelists, you know, what your favorite is, you know, if, if some with an ice cream manufacturer, what's your favorite brand? Uh, with you, uh, typically we would have started with, hey, do, do you favor a dog or a cat? But I did uh, look at your website and uh, understood you have a Maltese sheet shoe named uh, Toblerone Toby. Uh, the question then is really, you know, did, you, did Toby join uh, your family? pre-pandemic or during the pandemic? Great to see you, KK and Russ. Thanks for having me today. Um, and indeed, uh, the fifth member of our family is a little guy named Toblerone. As you said, he's a, he's a Malshi, a Maltese Shih Tzu. He actually joined us shortly before the pandemic, um, about to turn five. Um, but pets have always been a part of my life. I've had pets uh, since I was a young boy. I've had dogs, I've had cats, I've had fish. I've had reptiles, and uh, you know that's one of many reasons why I'm uh, so excited these last few years to be a part of the pet industry. And actually, I'm talking to you today from my home office. And uh, while off camera, I can assure you, right down here, uh, Toby is is at my feet <laughs> and uh, enjoys participating uh, from afar in in all my video calls. That's right. That become a part of the life these days, right? Yeah. Cats and dog shop and a bunch of Zoom calls and team calls. Uh, Tim, uh, you joined uh, Central Garden and Pet just ahead of the pandemic, and uh, you came from uh, the CPG, you know, uh, you know, more classical craft and uh, companies uh, like that. What drew you to Central Garden and Pet? Sure. Well, as you said, I mean, first I've had the the good fortune to spend uh, all 30 years of my career in CPG and in, in classic consumer products. And, you know, at its core, I'm passionate about uh, leading great companies, uh, building uh, iconic brands, developing people and teams, and most importantly, driving shareholder value. And um, when I had the opportunity to look at this role as CEO of Central Garden and Pet, a number of things attracted me. First, the industries. 
um, as we just talked a minute ago, a pet, um, you know, pets have always been a part of my life. And I think the pet industry is a fabulous industry, dynamic, high consumer engagement, a great growth industry. And at the same time, I'm, I happen to be an avid gardener. Uh, you know, I've got uh, quite a bit of, of, of land and spend a, a lot of time on uh, beautifying my outdoor spaces, as so many American consumers do. And so the personal fit for starters with these two industries, garden and pet, was very strong. Beyond that, in terms of this particular uh, platform, Central, um, I saw a strong foundation for growth. Uh, the company's been around for over 40 years. It's got a leading portfolio on both the garden and pet side, uh, demonstrated strength in the financials, um, a, a nice track record on M&A, and M&A and, and the opportunity for acquisitions is something that's been a part of my career and one that I'm excited of continuing here. Uh, this company had great relationships with key customers, um, good manufacturing and distribution network, and uh, importantly, a terrific team. So for all those reasons, I was excited to join. I've been here a little less than three years, and uh, I can say that uh, I'm very happy with the choice and uh, um, look forward to a bright future with Central. So, you know, where do you want to take Central Garden Pet? Sure. When I joined the company a few years back, uh, uh, we were at about two and a half billion in sales. Uh, we'll approximate by the end of this year, closer to three and a half billion. Uh, so, you know, obviously making this company bigger, better and stronger through both organic growth and through uh, M&A is a key part of it. So there's a lot of financial ambitions and and quite honestly, and we've been, I've been public about this, obviously we're a publicly traded uh, Fortune 800 company. Uh, my ambition is to, to double and, and redouble this business. And I think we can do that. And we're well on our way in, in the first few years since I've joined. Um, beyond that, it's about building a great place to work for our uh, today, uh, 7,400 colleagues, uh, really creating, you know, fulfilling careers, rewarding careers for people who are passionate um, almost every individual in our company are really passionate about these two categories and have personal affinity to it. Um, so it's a combination of, of uh, you know, kind of uh, financial ambitions to grow this company um, and as well, you know, the softer side of, of making this a great place for our employees and, and delivering on a, on a broader purpose that we can talk about as part of our new strategy to, uh, to nurture happy and healthy homes. That's that's wonderful, Tim. You um, you said you joined about three years ago, and many CEOs, um, you know, who started three years, two and a half years ago, were suddenly faced, even as we were, they were getting used to their companies with the pandemic and the shutdowns. So, what are the kind some of the changes you had to quickly make to adapt to the new world, and you know, how did you and your team management team, um, you know? take uh, the initial shock days of the pandemic? Sure. Well, um, of course, as you say, KK, I mean, who could have predicted such a, a massive curveball at a human level uh, just a few years ago with the COVID pandemic? For us, like I'm sure a lot of companies, two clear priorities out of the gates. Number one, the health and safety and well-being of our colleagues. And number two, business resilience, the opportunity to keep our operations running despite the uncertainty, particularly in the early days of the pandemic. And so, you know, right from the start, these have been our two focus areas. I'm, I'm so proud and I'm so inspired of the men and women here at Central Garden and Pet and the way that, the, that they've approached this with uh, tenacity and perseverance and commitment and loyalty. I'm pleased to say throughout the pandemic, uh, our business has stayed uh, fully operational, our manufacturing facilities, our distribution centers. And uh, we were, um, uh, you know, uh, I would say pleased to be recognized as an essential business early in the pandemic, given the important role that pets play and that uh, gardens play in consumers' lives in a lockdown kind of home environment. And so those were our early focus areas. In addition to that, um, we took the opportunity, given that pandemic curveball, to really step back and reassess our long-term strategy. And so we spent the better part of that first year in 2020 
doing a deep situation assessment. We took six to nine months to really understand our history, our strengths, our development opportunities, the changing dynamics, all leading to a new strategy that we then unveiled with an investor day and have subsequently talked about the last uh, year and a half or so. And maybe later in this call, I can unpack that strategy. Uh, but that was the other key element of, you know, um, trying to respond to this very fundamental uh, dynamic uh, with the pandemic. Yeah, I think with, uh, with the home becoming the center of everyone's lives, um, particularly in 2020 and 20, early 2021, um, you know, and, and the surge in demand, and there must have been a big surge in demand for your products. How did you and your uh, management team deal with uh, uh, the adoption, the significant adoption in pets, uh, and also the focus on uh, home? No doubt. So, you know, uh, while certainly the pandemic for starters uh, took a significant toll, um, you know, at a human level, we were certainly not immune, uh, you know, uh, a good uh, percent um, in, 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 in keeping with the broader national and international trends of our employees were impacted by it. So a lot of hardships and challenges, and we can talk more about that later, but as you say, KK, fundamentally, it also created a huge demand tailwind for our two categories. And as you said, KK, that manifested in, um, on the pet side, a significant increase in pet adoptions, which is obviously very good for our business. And so we saw in both industries, um, when you talk about household penetration, we saw north of a 300 basis point increase in household penetration in both pets and in gardening. If you talk about buy rate or annual spend per consumer, something that you know IRI knows well, uh, over these last couple of years, you're seeing that, that buy rate or annual spend per consumer over these last two years increase uh, on a two-year stack in the 30% plus range, 30 to 35%. So significant favorable tailwinds in pet adoption, in lawn and garden uh, behavior, in household penetration, and in buy rate. And uh, that's been terrific for our business. Uh, that's one of the reasons why in fiscal 20 and in fiscal 21, we uh, printed double-digit top-line and bottom-line results, and we printed uh, two consecutive years of record results. Um, with that, of course, came its share of challenges. When you have that level of surge in demand, uh, that does put pressure on your supply chain. And um, as appropriate, we could talk more about that. Yeah, no, let's let's dive right into it because that's the hottest topic these days, right? All the supply challenges, uh, every, every industry is facing it uh, and uh, would love to kind of understand a little bit as to how you dealt with it and how your management team is still dealing with it, I assume. Yeah, and 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 you're right there at the end. It's it's not over. We're we're still dealing with it, to be sure. I think um, you know broadly, if you step back, the 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 shadow side of all of this wonderful increase in demand, uh, both at an industry level and for our winning brands, was uh, felt by our supply chain. And you know, it, it started showing up late in in 2020. Um, and then it continues through to this day. And, and you know, fundamentally, we're talking about um, cost input pressure. So, you know, think uh, key commodities, you know, everything from things like wheat and, and agri commodities, um, commodities into our, our wild bird, you know, grass seed, etc. Through to a freight, um, obviously, but we're all seeing what's going on with oil, the price of gas, domestic transportation, ocean freight. Um, where you know we're, we obviously bring in a, a percentage of our products from outside this country, and that that uh, ocean freight cost was uh, skyrocketing. Labor cost. I mean, we've seen uh, we're not immune to the increases in labor, and we've had to make a number of labor adjustments, particularly to our hourly employees across manufacturing and distribution. And so, you know, that plus, as I said earlier, job one was the health, well-being, and safety of our employees. And that um, required a, a higher cost envelope to ensure we're covering that. So higher costs 
And then the other is quite candidly and something I'm not proud of, but it's, it's true. And, and we're, we're public on this as well, you know, compromise service levels to our customers. So our service levels were impacted significantly. Um, who could have predicted this type of surge in demand? And of course we've responded to that. We're not sitting on our hands and, and that is um, really an unprecedented investment in CapEx. We more than doubled our CapEx in 20 versus 19. We continued at that pace in 21. We are installing incremental capacity as well as automation to improve the efficiency of our installed capacity across countless facilities from dog bones to you know, uh, fish tanks to uh, pet bedding to grass seed and to bird feed. We're installing incremental capacity. So our service levels are still not at historic levels. Uh, you know, you always want to be at that ideally 100%, but certainly in the upper 90s. And uh, we're still not there, but we're on our way and we're making progress. But no doubt significant uh, supply chain challenges. Yeah, and, and uh, I assume assortment reduction given the variety of categories that you're playing in. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. KK. That's right. I mean, like I think a lot of uh, my peers, we did, uh, you know, an ABC analysis to understand, uh, obviously, uh, what are the key drivers and really focus on those A SKUs, those SKUs that uh, drive the majority of the volume, the majority of the shelf space, wanted to be sure our supply chain uh, fulfilled those first. And we had to make some tough choices in our C SKUs to either fully rationalize them or let our customers and consumers know that for at least a period of time, uh, they would be either unavailable or limited availability. Two more questions. When do you see, when, when do you see supply um, challenges moderating? I'm talking uh, purely not from a pricing perspective, just availability and getting the right product, uh, right commodities, right ingredients to make your products. Do you see an end in sight? Um, Yes, I think in a word, yes. Obviously difficult to have the crystal ball, um, particularly with a, the type of diversified portfolio that, uh, that I have the privilege, privilege to lead here. Um, but I would say broadly, KK, we are thinking it's, it's the end of this year, uh, the end of uh, somewhere between the end of our fiscal, which is September 30, or the end of the calendar year. So ca call it fall or, or year end. We are gonna be in a position where our service level to our customers is, is restored uh, back to historic level. Um, but you know, with the changing dynamics, you know, recent geopolitical developments uh, like we've seen in, in Ukraine and Russia, you know, there's always the chance for, a, for another curveball out there. Other, other question is, has this accelerated your digitization efforts across the company, right? I mean, you did talk a little bit about automation, but could you talk a little bit more about uh, digitization if, you know, if there are efforts to digitize you know, entire processes and systems and uh, the way you do business? No doubt. So you know, if you step back just broadly and say you know, um, the, uh, the changes uh, afoot around our evolution towards a digital world is having a profound impact, obviously, on our consumers' lives and on, on our company. And so for us, we do think about it, um, you know, I think as a company that has historically been built around brick and mortar distribution strength, um, it has been a pivot for this company, but it's a key part of our central to home strategy. And so that means taking a digital first mindset in everything we do, as you say, whether that's processes and systems internally, whether that's the um, enhanced use of robotics in our uh, manufacturing and distribution facilities. I, in the last three weeks, I've been at three different of our business units. I was at a business unit earlier in this week in, in the Virginia area. It's actually our, our live goods, our live plants business on the garden side. And who would think that, you know, for live plants, you know, think uh, everything from roses to hydrangeas to begonias, uh, shrubs and trees and so on, that, you know, digitization would play a role there. And yet we've invested significantly in a series of state-of-the-art robotics that allow us to plant, cut and plant seedlings to significantly enhance, I'm talking three, four, 500% improvement in efficiency of 
um, planting seedlings, which weeks later become plants that we can then sell to, to you and, and consumers across the US. So we're, we're investing significantly in the digitalization of our, um, of our supply chain um, through things like uh, robotics. And then on the consumer facing side and the customer side, clearly the explosive growth of e-commerce e has been something that has um, only accelerated in the COVID pandemic. And it's an area of real focus for me and for Central Garden and Pet. You mentioned you did, you, you've gone through a deep assessment and you've set some targets of doubling and redoubling and redoubling revenue. Late 20, you just, and you mentioned briefly your central to home strategy. Can you tell us a little more about the framework of that? Absolutely, Russ. Um, you know, that's something I'm, uh, I'm really proud of and really excited about. And uh, one of the reasons just to start is because this is a strategy, as I like to say, that is created by central for central. You know, this is not a top down couple of guys in the corner office or a couple of high paid consultants coming up with a strategy. We really stepped back, as I mentioned earlier, Russ, took six to nine months. I involved over 150 key leaders across the company, coast to coast, across business units and function to co-create the strategy. And that's why I think it'll, it'll stand the test of time, uh, at least for the next few years. Fundamentally, what is that strategy? Well, I think a great strategy starts with a purpose. And you know, our purpose as a publicly traded uh, business is obviously to make money, but a great purpose goes beyond making money and creating shareholder value. And for us, we landed on this concept, whether you're in garden or pet, uh, selling dog treats, grass seed, bird feed, uh, pet beds, it's to nurture happy and healthy homes. And I think in the COVID pandemic, uh, we saw that uh, even more as KK said. Um, consumers really seeing home as a place of comfort and joy and pets play a big role in that. And so do your outdoor lawn and garden spaces. So it starts with an inspiring purpose to nurture happy and healthy homes. Then we've got a mission as any good strategy would, and it's to lead the future of the pet and garden industries, which is a bold ambition. It requires us to think differently, to, to stay agile, to be very consumer centric, to understand the trends and where the puck is going to stay in front of the digital revolution, as KK asked earlier. Um, but we have a, a clever uh, turn of phrase. We say, lead the future of pet and garden, one blade of grass and one wagging tail at a time. And that's the concept of, it's a journey, guys. Um, this is a day-by-day -day thing. We won't get there you know, overnight. Every employee counts, every day counts, every case counts, every idea counts. This inclusive notion of bringing everyone into the mission that, that you can play a role. And then we've got five key strategies, and I'll keep it uh, as short as possible here, but to help our employees uh, with kind of memorability around it, um, they all um, conveniently start with the letter C, and they are consumer, customer, central, portfolio, cost, and culture. And if I spend a few seconds on each, um, starts with the consumer. This is about uh, a call out to build and grow brands consumers love. This is about deeply understanding our consumers, building distinctive and winning brands, creating disruptive innovation platforms. Quite honestly, Russ and KK, this is an area where my company, Central Garden and Pet, has been underdeveloped. We've been less uh, advanced in consumer relative to some of the the companies I've worked with uh, in the past um, in big CPG. So it's an area of opportunity, consumer. Second strategy, all around the customer. And this is around winning with winning customers and channels. And this is everything from building sales capabilities, uh, responding to channel shifts, and the imperative to win in e-commerce. And we can talk more about e-commerce later. Third pillar is central, uh, talking about our central portfolio. This is about having a good portfolio strategy, um, un understanding that different brands and categories play different roles. It's also the home of our M&A strategy, which is critical to our past and to our future. Um, I've bought four companies in the last uh, two years and plan to continue to add to that. Fourth strategy is cost, and this is about reducing costs to build our margins and to fuel our growth, to invest back in consumer and customer. This is about continuous improvement, uh, net productivity, cost excellence, and really scale and collaboration efforts. And the fifth and final C is culture, arguably the most important 
uh, building a winning culture, attracting, retaining, developing the best. And really for us, uh, and I think one of the, the cool parts of Central, it's about an entrepreneurial business unit led culture. We're not a monolith at Central. We're very proud to have today, we have 24 business units that roll up into Garden and Pet. And we really like to nurture that entrepreneurial, um, agile ownership in our BUs. So uh, uh, that's the summary of our, our, uh, our strategy and, uh, and we're excited about it. Really terrific. And I'm sure the fact that you've got so many, so many leaders and others involved will pay dividends because it's not your strategy, it's everyone's. That's, that's really terrific. Um, you, you mentioned you acquired four companies last year. I think you have about 65 brands and we know that Pennington and Nylabone are two of your biggest brands. Those were acquisitions. How do you stay agile? Because that was another thing you mentioned. How do you stay agile through so many brands and an acquisition strategy? Sure. Um, well, as you say, and you got the number right, we've got, you know, of, of significance, uh, 65 brands. So that's a pretty wide portfolio. I'm definitely of the view that every single brand we own has the opportunity and quite honestly, the obligation to, to grow. And, uh, and so, um, the, you know, I'd say there's a bit of a reinvigoration in terms of portfolio uh, role here that every single brand that we've got um, needs to find the, their, their, uh, their growth strategies, needs to find their um, channels of opportunity, their innovation opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we, having said that, there are, you know, tiers of brands and, and we've got, you know, give or take 10 brands that are, you know, more what you might consider power brands that are the largest brands. These are brands like Pennington, like Nyla Bone, KT, Ferry Morris, uh, et cetera, cadet. And so you will see more of our resources uh, focus on those, but have an expectation that everyone comes to the growth party. Um, as it relates to M&A, um, M&A is a really important part of that uh, overall equation. Uh, as mentioned, we've had the, the privilege to welcome four new businesses in the last two years uh, by way of quick review. Those are Green Garden, which is America's largest seed packet business. Think flowers, herbs, vegetables, et cetera. Um, next is Do My Own, which is a really cool new platform. That's actually an, an e-tailer. So that is a e-commerce direct-to-consumer provider of lawn and garden and pest control products. Um, the third is Hopewell, which was a, a Hopewell Nurseries, an exciting addition to our live plants or live goods platform with Bell. And the fourth was D&D, which is a a leading premium provider in the wild bird feed categories. That's a nice addition to our existing wild bird. So um, all four happen to be on the garden side. That's not necessarily by uh, you know, strategic intent. We continue to fish on both the garden and the, uh, and the pet side, um, but all four are great new additions. Each of them bring um, unique capabilities, um, which is a key part of it. They bring talented management teams, and they bring um, some some synergy opportunities to uh, to the overall platform. So you've you've mentioned e-commerce a couple of times, including the acquisition of an e-tailer. Can you tell us more about uh, how's what's the size of your e-commerce business? What's your what's your what do you see happening as it evolves? Yeah, well, as both you gentlemen know, I mean, e-commerce is the fastest growing channel, and uh, it is one that if you do not figure out winning strategies. For your business to grow in e-commerce, uh, you're going to be a dinosaur pretty quickly, and uh, we we recognize that. And as part of our our strategy from you know that we co-created back in during the pandemic, that is a a critical part of our investment thesis going forward. So if you if we take our two industries, pet and garden, I'll start with pet. Um, for pet, it's it's already a huge part of the business. So today, of our total pet consumer business. You know, you're talking between 20 and 25% of our revenue is sold through the e-commerce channel. That might be omni-channel players, you know, like, uh, like Walmart or, or uh, PetSmart um, or pure play players like Amazon. And in the case of Pet Chewy, uh, which is a great uh, e-tailer, as you know, in, in e-commerce. Um, that's a business that we saw a huge double-digit growth in both of the pandemic years. And now we're beginning to lap that and seeing more uh, single-digit growth, but 
that's one that's going to ramp heavily. I think a lot of industry experts, and I would agree, would say that that could be 50% of the total pet business um, here in the next few years. So it's an area of significant investment for us as we think about our digital marketing, as we think about our innovation, and certainly our resource allocation in e-commerce. So that's pet big. In garden, it plays less of a role. It's underdeveloped relative to pet. Part of the reason I'm sure you gentlemen could, could, uh, could recognize, and that is, you know, you think about some of the garden products, you know, 20 pound bag of bird seed or grass seed, some of the shipping economics for customers as well as suppliers are a little bit more challenging and consumers themselves still are, um, haven't yet made the complete migration relative to going to that lawn and garden center and seeing what they need. Having said that, it's in the single digit percent of garden business today, and it's rapidly growing, fastest growing channel. So last year, our business, um, like I said, about you know mid single digit of our total portfolio on garden, but it grew triple digits versus prior year off that small base, and uh, you know we expect that to continue. So um, really important part of the business and one that we're investing in significantly. Can you say just a bit more about the digital marketing piece? Sure. Um, you know, I talked about the, our strategy, the five C's, starting with the consumer. And um, this is a key part of that consumer strategy and, and one I'm excited about. When you think about the role of digital from brand building and digital marketing excellence um, through to um, the way that we approach our innovation. Um, it's also an area, Russ, where we've made significant investments in new hires. So over the last uh, year or two, we have brought in, you know, a new chief marketing officer, a new head of digital marketing, a new head of DTC, a uh, new head of, of uh, e-commerce on both the garden and the pet side, um, significant staffing underneath around uh, digital and digital business development. So it's a key part of our strategy. We're putting our money where our mouth is with regard to talent and bringing in an influx of really more digitally native leaders. Um, and in terms of focus areas to your question, Russ, in terms of digital marketing, it's things like um, maybe three to site. One is building winning in-house um, content development capability. That's an area where we've been, um, I would say, underdeveloped at Central historically. And you, both you gentlemen know the importance of that to win the, the buy box in the competitive digital marketing world. Enhanced performance marketing uh, in the digital space. And then finally, beginning to build out our direct-to-consumer capabilities. It's nascent. Uh, in our company today. It's a very small percent, but we know it's, it's where the puck's going and, and it's an area of investment. I think that's spot on. I had a chance to meet Mark Cuban at a charity event about a year and a half ago. And I briefly, briefly stood with him and I said to him, if you had one thing to tell me, I have a team of about 45, what would it be? He said, hire a 25 year old and have them tell you what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, good advice from Mark. You have a variety of categories and brands as we discussed. Uh, could you give us some examples of some innovative uh, things you've done to kind of vary your go-to-market strategies for you know a brand versus another brand? Well, as as you look at the two industries we compete in, um, there are meaningful differences that, to your question, KK, dictate different go-to-market strategies. So maybe on this one, I'll start on the garden side. And if you think about garden. Garden is really dominated as an industry in, um, in the leading mass merch uh, player and uh, the two leading uh, home center players. So, you know, those three, which we call the big three and, and a lot of our uh, peers and competitors in lawn and garden uh, refer to them as the big three. Those three dominate uh, lawn and garden. I'm talking, you know, kind of 75% of the total business. Mm -hmm. So when you think about go-to-market strategy, it starts with ensuring you're going to win with the big three. And I'd say the biggest shift associated with those three is the way they've embraced omni-channel as, um, as the winning play. And so they've um, invested significantly in their um, online 
um, uh, channel uh, in pick, pack, and ship capability, in pushing some of the burden to suppliers on uh, direct fulfillment to consumer, on ensuring you've got winning content on, on their sites. And uh, you know the, the merchants themselves, the buyers now, really, I've seen, even in the last three years since taking this uh, chair, uh, I've seen the, the buyers and the merchants themselves put uh, omni-channel and digital marketing and, and uh, e-com fulfillment at the forefront of line reviews and uh, you know, portfolio decisions. And uh, whereas in the past, it was uh, you know, a nice side hobby, so to speak. So um, that's really key on, on the garden side. And that, that means you know, that's everything from how we curate that assortment recognizing the importance of uh, full omni-channel uh, winning strategies, um, how we innovate, how we market, how we price, all of that. On the pet side, it is about a pet specialty. So think of the couple of big box pet specialty players here in the U.S. It's about the pure play players. Uh, Amazon and, and Chewy are both uh, big ones, obviously. And then a lot of um, fragmented um, mom and pop specialty, pet specialty stores in your hometown and, and Russ's hometown, you know, there, there may be one or two. So um, one of the areas where I think our go-to-market strategy differs from some of our competitors is we're actually also a leading distributor. And so on the pet side, we run a pet distribution business where we not only fulfill and merchandise uh, our products, central manufactured and marketed products, but also third-party products. And that gives us a certain uh, source of competitive advantage in terms of we've got that relationship that's enhanced with pet specialty, both big box and independent. Um, and uh, we do the merchandising all the way through. That also gives us exposure to you know what's selling, uh, not just from our shop, but in other shops. What are the trends? Um, what are consumers migrating to? And so we use our distribution. By the way, I didn't mention on Garden. We have the same on Garden. So we have a we have a vendor partner business and a third party. And we've got strong merchandising in store. We have feet on the street on the Garden side that goes into the likes of uh, you know uh, Lowe's and Depot and Walmart, as well as on the pet side that actually merchandise product and and helps uh, build displays and 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 set shelves. So. Those are some of the things that make Central Garden and Pet uh, different. And, and I think um, when uh, properly harnessed, give us a source of competitive advantage. The proportion of e-commerce would be different, right? You said pet could be as high as 50 here. I assume it's less because of the bulkiness. In terms no of doubt. Home garden. Yeah, so yeah. It, you know, the 50 number I told you is a, a future looking It's the future. Yeah. Today uh, for our pet business, it's in the mid 20s percent, mm -hmm. you know, our total business, whereas on the garden, it's in, it's a single digit number. So to your point, KK, underdeveloped on the garden side, relative yeah. to that. Yeah. And, and, and managing um, both of these, right? What kinds of uh, analytic tools, data uh, do you use to help inform decisions? You talked a little bit about consumer, you know, kind of developing the consumer capability. Yep. Um, with uh, with e-commerce or Omni kind of being slightly different in different businesses. What are some of the stuff, uh, what are some of the data and uh, analytics that you're using today? Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is uh, uh, an area of obviously uh, critical importance to our future and an area where we are investing heavily um, consistent with our central to home strategy. Um, and as I mentioned to Russ's earlier question, you know, for me, the first part of the answer is we're investing and in bringing in great new talent that has experience in, in these spaces and with these set of tools that can help build capability here at Central Garden and Pet. And so we've made a number of uh, important hire decisions in areas like uh, data and analytics, uh, consumer insights in uh, digital performance marketing. Um, in terms of tools, you know, we're really um, trying to move towards more agile uh, tools, more predictive tools, more um, AI-enabled tools. So these are things like, obviously, more customized market uh, measurement tools, um, AI-led consumer testing tools. I was, I was with another business unit a couple of weeks ago, 
and uh, was really excited to see the adoption of a very different set of um, pricing analysis tools that we had never used before that were um, AI led, that were um, very quick and very low cost relative to the historic tools that I grew up with in CPG on how we test uh, pricing, mm -hmm. particularly for, uh, for new products. So there's a lot, a lot of that going on. Um, social listening is an area where we're investing in. Um, and then, you know, more trend and predictive um, analytics is an area we're investing in. I mean, even to bring one example on the garden side, weather plays an incredible mm -hmm. impact on a lawn and garden uh, consumption. And so as you think about getting into the spring season that we're in now, if you have a beautiful weekend, um, consumers go out to the lawn and garden centers. They're excited about buying live plants, grass seed, bird feed, whatever, uh, chemicals, fertilizers to then beautify their home. If you have a horrible weather and it's cold and rainy, they're not going to do that. So, you know, one of the predictive tools we're starting to work on is around weather prediction that is geo-targeted down to the metro area to then proactively inform um, inventory needs, merchandising opportunities, um, feed on the street that weekend in that metro, et cetera. And so that's one of countless examples where I think uh, predictive tools can be very helpful. Are you investing in first-party data collection so you know my my home spec versus Russ's home spec and you know that kind of data or not yeah, yet. Absolutely. And I would say early innings KK, but I'll yeah. build on your example to say there's even opportunity in the big data world to also get through government sources, local municipality sources, yeah. an understanding of, for example, soil content at your yard, yeah. KK, that's different than Russ's yard down in Phoenix. And then understanding what your needs are to, to grow a beautiful lawn is very different than his. And the chance yeah. to then bring that together and provide intelligent solutions around uh, the right fertilizer for you and the right grass seed for you. These are all opportunities before us with big yeah. data and with great analytics. And you talked about creating an entrepreneurial business unit led growth culture and you've got over 7,000 people. How do you do that? Sure. Well. Like any, uh, any good CEO, I've got to start by saying our most important asset is our people. And as you said, we've got over 7,000 fantastic uh, men and women. Um, I, I walked you through our strategy earlier, uh, the fifth C, fifth pillars around culture and building that entrepreneurial business unit-led culture. So what I like to say to folks is the primary organizational vector of Central Garden and Pet is and will always be, in my view, a business unit led culture. And, you know, I want to give our business units um, the empowerment, the freedom, and the associated accountability to run their businesses. Um, I also want to ensure that our reward and recognition programs are uh, commensurate with that. So, for example, our annual bonus program. For, for all of our employees, 80% of that, 80% of that is tied down to the business unit level. I always like to put reward and recognition closest to consumer and customer, closest to our BUs. There's a role for corporate, you know, in the enterprise, and obviously we're publicly traded, you know, one company, but um, to really tie that annual bonus down to the team sitting in New Jersey, sitting in Atlanta, sitting in Phoenix, running their independent business and let them know that their actions, if they do better, you know, they're going to get paid more. I think it's really important. And then if everyone does that, the enterprise is going to win. So I think reward and recognition alignment is a key part of building that. At the same time, I would tell you, um, it's not a binary equation. It is not a... Um, you know, zero one thing. I do think in our company, we will always be business unit led. We will have empowered accountable business units, but there's a role to play for enterprise thinking sometimes for scale leverage. Uh, we're knocking on the door of a three and a half billion dollar platform today. Clearly there's backroom synergies, procurement systems, 
Clearly, there's best practices sharing. Uh, there's leverage with the customer, our retail partner, and consumer. And some of the things we talked about, uh, for example, digital marketing in predictive analytics. So finding that sweet spot that is predominantly business unit led and rewarding and recognizing that entrepreneurial culture, but also finding um, the, the, the smart ways to leverage our scale and best practices. That's the art, in my view, of, of a great, uh, great company. And, uh, you know, I, I like operating in, in that space. It, there's no science to it. Um, like I said, there's also not one size fits all. Um, but it's one that I think we're, we're really getting our arms around and, and trying to find that sweet spot. Yeah, art is a good word for that, a really good word for that. You know, recognition, reward, or highly attributable to driving the kind of successful behavior you need to be successful. Uh, shifting gears for a little bit, high consumer interest in health and sustainability. And, you know, most companies are, are, are trying their best. How, how does Central address that trend, those trends? Sure. Well, as part of our Central to Home strategy, we rolled out for the first time um, what we call our Central Impact Initiative. And that is, for lack of a better term, our, you know, kind of uh, uh, proprietary language around our CSR or ESG efforts. And uh, I'm certainly a believer that this is, uh, uh, as you said, Russ, not only important to our consumers, but it's important to our customers, our retail partners. It's important to our investors. Um, it's important to our analysts who cover us, uh, government stakeholders, our communities in which we operate. And so it's really important. Part of that central impact strategy, we, we talked about three pillars. Uh, the first is around community health, the second around employee well-being, and the third around sustainability. And maybe having a quick word on each around, you know, community health, um, we operate in over 100 communities across the United States, uh, those 24 business units. So we either have a manufacturing plant, a distribution center, or a, a sales and uh, commercial uh, office. And so, you know, we've got a real um, obligation to those communities to be sure that we're good citizens and, and we're giving back. And um, we've got a couple of, I'd say, marquee um, partnerships that we're proud of. Uh, one is Habitat for Humanity, where, you know, in this last year, we donated over a million dollars and uh, had employees highly engaged in that. Um, another on the pet side is we're very active in a series of um, pet shelters, everything from uh, animal rescue shelters like ARF to ASPCA, and uh, we're meaningful financial and uh, I'd say strategic partner to these. On employee well-being, I mean, uh, certainly it started around our work around the uh, uh, COVID pandemic. I think part of it as well as our diversity and inclusion uh, agenda uh, formed our first ever diversity council, uh, made really investments in areas like mentorship, leadership development, and a commitment to continue to improve representation of women and people of color at our company. And then on the third is uh, around sustainability, which I think is the heart of your question. Um, this is an area where, you know, quite honestly, um, we are beginning to um, collect, harness, and accelerate a number of incredible stories that are already taking place around our company. And then we're just about to launch our first ever impact report, Russ, that uh, obviously we're going to make public uh, in all of our filings. But you know, some early proof points that I'm excited about, one's around ocean waste. Obviously, ocean plastic is a key area. And this last year, we recycled uh, over 85 million pounds of ocean waste into finished products in areas like pet beds and uh, outdoor cushions, which is another one of our business. Um, we produced over 125 million dog bones in our dog uh, treat um, uh, and toy facility in New Jersey, all through solar. Uh, power. And uh, we've reduced over 11 billion gallons of water um, in our new grass seed innovation, which is far more sustainable in the applications of coating that allows grass seed to grow with 30% with less water than the prior incarnation of grass seed. So we've got actually some really, I think, compelling stories to tell of efforts that have been a part of this company for many years 
But quite honestly, Russ, we haven't told those stories. And I think uh, to your question, uh, not only consumers, but other stakeholders are interested in this space. And we want to begin to codify this and then make further commitments of improvements in the future. That's terrific. So speaking of stories, we, we mentioned one of your larger brands, Pennington, a lawn product, uh, has recently made some headlines. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it, why, you know, how it fits in? I, know yeah. you're gonna, I knew you were going to smile on this one. Definitely. Yeah, that, this one's, I'm a football fan. So uh, this one's really cool. You know, Pennington's been around for 75 years. Uh, we just celebrated the 75th anniversary in 2020. And it's a, it's a pioneer in, in grass seed and has always played a really important role in being at the forefront of really growing incredible turf for American consumers to to play ball on and entertain on and, and roll around with the kids and the pets and so on. And so we thought it was a really perfect fit then to go in and, and we launched a campaign, I think is probably the one you're referencing, right around Super Bowl this year. And we called it Flip the Turf. And it was, you know, I think it fits so well with Pennington, but it's really responding to a, a growing trend among football enthusiasts and football players themselves. And that is that um, 16 of the current 32 uh, uh, teams and fields in the NFL still play on artificial turf. And artificial turf is not so nice on two levels. One on a sustainability level, Russ, to your earlier question. You know, that, that fake AstroTurf uh, ends up being rolled up every few years and put into a landfill. And Lord knows how long it takes to... Uh, to, to degrade from there, and then it gets replaced uh, versus, you know, a natural uh, sustainable grass. And then the other is health and safety of football players. And so um, many football players for years have said, and, and if you've ever played contact sports or your children have had, you know the difference between that AstroTurf and natural grass and natural turf. And so we, because this was important to our consumers and I think a great fit to the Pennington brand, we launched this program called Flip the Turf. Uh, we've got a couple of great NFL spokesmen like uh, uh, George Kittle and others to go out and advocate on this. And we created a, a, quite a buzz out there. And then if you uh, gentlemen and others watch the Super Bowl, you'll know there was a, a really scary moment um, where uh, OBJ, uh, you know, mysteriously fell to the ground in one of these, you know, odd turf injuries. And quite honestly, that unfortunate development that, that happened in real time in the game only catapulted the conversation to a new level. And so, you know, at the end of the day, as you measure these things, we, we got over $10 million in earned media for that Pennington flip the turf. And uh, as measured by the, uh, uh, by the folks that measure all the Super Bowl advertising, we actually had the highest engagement rate on social of any brand that did not run a 30 second ad on the Super Bowl. We, we, we can't afford that at this stage. So we didn't run that. But uh, outside of that, I think we really broke through. And I think it was, you know, a nice platform that uh, is consistent with the, the brand Pennington promise. Did you get any response from the NFL? Cause it was pretty direct. It, it was. And, and we have, uh, we have countless NFL players that are now uh, really, uh, uh, including the Players Association, that are really interested um, in, in furthering this platform. And, and, and Russ, uh, and of course it's out there in the public forum, we have made a pledge that if any NFL team uh, would like to flip the turf, um, we'll, we'll pay for the grass uh, on the house from Pennington. That's terrific, that's really terrific. Well, you've, you've woven a culture into most all of what you've spoken about. It's obviously important to you. And you created these set of values, you call it the central way. Tell us, tell us how that's helped strengthen your culture. Yeah, I, I think values are so important to a winning culture. And you know, they're, they're the, really the, the cornerstone, they're the root of the how of the, the, uh, the, the culture at a company. And uh, indeed, as part of that new central to home strategy, one of the things we did, as, as I think one should do, is take a fresh look at our values. And so um, we had a, a series of amazing. Um, employee-led engagement sessions to really harvest our, our legacy values that differed across some of our legacy BUs and then come up with a, 
a coherent set of values. There's six of them. And uh, I think they fit us well. It starts with we do the right thing, all about integrity and trust. We strive to be the best and ambition to be a leader in our industry. Third is we're entrepreneurial. We've talked about this this hour, a cornerstone element of our culture. Fourth is we win together. So this yin and yang of, yes, you can be entrepreneurial and leverage the scale and resources of a multi-billion dollar Fortune 800 company. Uh, next is we uh, grow every day, the sense of growing the business, but growing as an individual around personal growth and development. And the final is we're passionate. And that's uh, that runs through uh, every employee so passionate about their pets and their gardens. Literally every employee, you've seen it on our website, we all have pets, uh, we all love our gardens, and so we're passionate. So those six values, and you'll note everyone, you know, three or four simple words, and they all start with we are. This notion of this is what bonds us together. And so it's really inspiring to see this uh, take hold across our sites in, in signage, as well as in vocabulary, in the way we talk with one another. And I think will play an important role in sustaining the winning culture. Tim, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful uh, um, discussion. We really appreciate you taking the time to do it with us. And be, you know, I personally have learned so much more about pet and uh, lawn and, uh, you know, and you know, the strategies that you're adopting. Uh, good luck and congratulations on, on a great run so far. Thank you, KK. Thank you, Russ. It was a pleasure to be with both you gentlemen and, and with IRI. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, KK, and Russ for this amazing conversation. So many hot industry topics were touched on today. I'd like to recap a few of the things I heard. Central Garden and Pet operates in two industries, pet and garden, where consumers increased their spending throughout the pandemic, leading to two consecutive years of record results for the company. But Tim's goals for the company go beyond that and include doubling and redoubling the business in the coming years. It won't happen overnight, but in Tim's words, it will be achieved with a focus on one blade of grass and one wagging tail at a time. At the same time, and like many players in the CPG space, Central Garden and Pet has been challenged by pandemic-related supply chain pressures, including increasing commodity prices, curbed land and ocean freight, labor, and costs of labor. The quick pivots to address employee health and well-being during the pandemic, as well as supply challenges, led to deeper company assessments. Over the course of nine months, the company developed its new central to home strategy, summed up in five C's. Consumer, specifically build and grow brands consumers love. Customer, win with retail customers across channels, including building new capabilities. Central portfolio, new strategies for existing business units, including a strong approach to mergers and acquisitions. And on that note, Tim, you mentioned four recent additions to the Central Garden and Pet family, Green Garden Seed Packets, Hopewell Nursery, E-Tailor Do My Own, and D&D. Cost, reducing costs to build margins, but also to fuel growth and make continuous improvements at scale. And finally, culture, deemed the most important to you, Tim, is attracting and retaining talent and sustaining the entrepreneurial approach of the company's 24 business units. Working as it does across both garden and pet industries, Central Garden and Pet plays with both dominant retail leaders, including mass merchants and dedicated channel leaders, as well as pure play, e-com, and even independence. An advantage for Central Garden and Pet is that it's also a fulfillment house for third-party producers, giving the company exposure to changing purchase patterns and products that are trending. In addition to hiring talent to build digital capabilities, Central Garden and Pet is also in investing heavily in tools and technology to be more agile in activating change, utilizing more AI-enabled predictive and measurement tools, notably for pricing analysis, social listening, predictive tools like weather for targeted marketing and in-store activation, and to identify areas ripe for innovation. Tim, you also talked with great pride about your Flip the Turf campaign launched during this year's Super Bowl to encourage the 16 NFL teams that still use artificial turf to swap to natural turf to reduce non-contact injuries, as well as the negative environmental impact caused by artificial turf. 
to seal the deal, you're offering to bring the grass. That is well played. Finally, you talked about Central Garden Pets' approach to getting your more than 7,400 colleagues working across 24 business units and 65 brands to work from the same playbook, the Central Way, which you summarized as, we do the right thing, we strive to be the best, we are entrepreneurial, we win together, and we are passionate. Those are values we can all embrace for future success. Tim, KK, and Russ, thank you for your time today and this for this fantastic conversation. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our other thought leadership, including valuable reports and our dashboard of economic indicators. Have a good day. 